Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. We have been talking about mental health for the past several weeks. And um, today is today we're going to shift gears just a little bit. This is actually going to be a two-part season, a two-part um, sermon, because I started putting it together yesterday. And as I, we were driving down to to uh, watch the football game and pick up Jake and bring him back, and I was talking with Susan about it, and she reminded me sometimes sermons are just too big for one sermon, and you've got to cut them in half. So actually, I cut this sermon in half to try to to make it more time-constrained, but also make it palatable for us. We've been, talking about, um, we've been talking about mental health related to our own mental health. And just to kind of skip through that slide, go to this one. We, we, we started with the, with the basic scripture of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Sometimes fear is a natural reaction to the events of life. And so we don't want to take from this that if we're afraid, that means that God's not with us or that we're in opposition to God. But what we see from this passage is that God has not given us a spirit of overwhelming fear that would cause us to avoid situations or to isolate ourselves, to deny the reality of life, or to surrender to the trials of life. What God has given us is a spirit of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. What that means is that God has given us the tools to overcome the challenges of life. But we also learn that we can't get through life without God, and we can't get through life without each other. So what happens whenever, maybe you're not the one that's suffering, but it's another person. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a a, a child or a parent, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend. How do we comfort other people when they're going through the struggles of life? When they are, are faced with the loss of a job or the loss of a spouse or the loss of a parent, whenever they're struggling with drugs or addictions of, of various types, how do we help them? How do we help them overcome? Um, have you ever struggled to help somebody? You ever, you ever seen somebody that you know is hurting and you just don't know what to do? Well, let me tell you something. You are not alone. That's, if, you don't, if you don't get anything out of this, this series of mental health, the one thing I want you to remember is you are not alone in this struggle because everybody struggles with these things. Everybody struggles with, with fear. Everybody struggles with anger. Everybody struggles with, with the cares and the concerns of life. And we also struggle with how we comfort each other, how we help each other during times of trouble. But thankfully, God has given this, this spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, not to only overcome our fears, but to help other people overcome their fears. will help them to get through those times whenever they're just overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with the, 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 the chaos that life brings to us, and in particular the chaos that Satan wants to have in our lives. He wants that chaos to be there. So how do we help bring order to that? How do we help them understand that God wants to bring order to that? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to comfort somebody when they're discomforted. 
So if you want to open up your Bibles to Job chapter 16, we're going to primarily be in Job 16. We're going to, I'm going to put a couple other verses up here on the screen, and we may go back to the beginning of Job. But I want to, uh, we're going to kind of base our lesson around, around Job chapter 16. Now to get the picture, while you're turning to Job 16, let me tell you a story about Job. If you don't, if you don't remember the story of Job. Job was an upright man. He was a man who was tested by God to be one of his guys. You might remember how the, the book of Job begins. It describes Job and how he was, a, he was a wealthy man, not just in possessions, but he was wealthy spiritually. He was wealthy in, in the things that people really would value in life. But most of all, he was a man who God was proud of. Wouldn't you love... Think about, think about, I'm, 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 I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to, I'm going to buy five minutes of your time at the end of the lesson, but I got to do this. Wouldn't you love to know that whenever Satan comes before God, they're talking about you? That sounds sound kind of twisted a little bit. But what that means is that God's aware of us and he's proud of us. Have you considered my servant Job? Put your name in that spot. Wouldn't that be awesome? But you know what happens? God's proud of his children, and he didn't mind bragging about them. But God puts Job up as an example. He said, have you, proud, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, you know what? This is Satan's job. This is what he sees as his responsibility. I shouldn't say it's his job because a job is something that you do because you feel like somebody else made. This is Satan's purpose is to be an accuser, to be, uh, to be an adversary to God and his people. He says, you know what? You let me mess with him a little bit, and I'll, I'll make him where he won't want to follow you anymore. And you look at verses, uh, we're not going to take time to do this just for the sake of time, but you go to chapter 1, and you're going to see Job's going to lose his livestock. He's going to lose all of his oxen and his donkeys and his camels and his sheep and his goats. They're all going to get stolen or wiped out, burned up in, in one situation. He's going to lose all of his servants, except for the ones that escaped to run back and tell him that he'd lost all of his servants. He's going to lose his children. You know, you might be able to, you might be able to deal with losing your cattle. You might be able to lo deal with losing, uh, losing, losing some employees. That, that sounds kind of weird, but losing people that work for you. But now it starts getting really hit close to home, right? He loses his children. He loses his health. You go on to chapter 2, and you see that Satan's going to come back, and Satan's going to touch him. He's going to put boils on him. He's going to make him from the, from the head, top of his head to the soles of his feet. He's going to be covered completely in boils. I'll just tell you, I don't know what that feels like. I've never been there before. And that can be a challenge sometimes when we're trying to comfort people is maybe we've never been there before. But on top of all this, you see in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, you, you see he's got a wife who's really not that much of a support to him. She basically tells him, you know what, why don't you just curse God and die? Let, let, me, just be too, let me just cut to the chase. That's not the kind of comfort we're talking about in this lesson, okay? We're not talking about that kind of comforter. So you've got a man who is overwhelmed with the situation of life. He's to the point where he's sitting in ashes which is literally the picture of his life right now. He's sitting in ashes with a broken pot, scraping the boils just to relieve the pressure. How do you comfort a man like that? How do you bring any type of, 
of salve to that wound. How do you help them overcome? But all through this, he continued to trust in God. That's, that's one thing that we, we've got working in Job's behalf. Job's behalf, excuse me. He continues to trust in God even though his life is utterly overwhelmed. And I was going to read Job chapter 3 to you. I will read just a portion of this just so you get a picture of how devastated Job is. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Notice he didn't curse God here, but he cursed the day he was born. May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which I was, it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May clouds settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. Verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came forth from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who build ruins for themselves. Look at verse 26. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. This is a picture of a man who was overwhelmed. What would you do in that situation? So let's, let's look at, first off, what did, where did Job's comfort begin to come from? And in particular, we're going to look at his, at his friends that came to see him. Um, these, these friends are introduced in chapter 2. As, as Jake read for us there, we've got Eliphaz, the Temanite, we've got Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. These, people are gonna, these guys are going to come to Job. And what I want to first recognize is that God gives us the same spirit that he gave to them to do something on behalf of Job. The first thing that we want to notice here is that they wanted to come to Job. Look at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Edelphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. I want you to notice there that they made the intentional decision to go to Job. What does that mean? First off, you've got to love people enough to want to go Comfort them. I'll just tell you this. If it doesn't start from love, it's going to end in a bad place. And if, it does, if, you don't have, if we don't have love for the, for the weary, we're not going to bring them any comfort, whether we go to them or not. I've got noted up here, John chapter 11, verse 35. Does anybody remember what that passage is? Do you remember it from your Bible school days? It's probably the first verse that you ever memorized because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Very good, Joe. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus, why did God in the flesh weep? Because he had compassion on people. He was compassion. He was touched with their infirmities. He saw Mary and Martha mourning, and they came to him and they said, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Don't you know that broke Jesus' heart? And he couldn't help but be compassionate upon them. And that's where comfort starts within me. It starts with a brokenheartedness for people's concerns. To feel the pain that they feel. To sympathize with them. To join in their pathos, their, their agony that they're struggling with. 
God's spirit of love is what opens my ears to the pains of other people. You think about the flip side it looks like. We go through life sometimes and we just are completely oblivious to things that are going on around us. We just, we, because we got places to go, we got people to see, right? And we miss opportunities to show comfort to people because we're not compassionate towards the needs of others. So the first thing you see with these friends is they committed to go. They made an appointment together. You know what that means? They had to correspond with each other. They had to be intentional about it, saying, we're going to go see Joe. Let's get together and let's go at the same time. The second thing we notice here is that they actually went. Look what it says in verse, uh, verse uh, 12. And when they raised their eyes from afar. What does that mean? That means they actually went to go see him. Have you? Do you have this problem? I'll just, I'll admit this. This is what I suffer from sometimes. Too often, we make excuses for why we don't go, right? Well, it's too soon. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to, I don't want to distract them from their, from whatever they're struggling with. I, or maybe it's too late. I think I've told you this before, but in my mind, the difference between too soon and too late is five seconds, Right? It's that, that period of the right time is five seconds long and it's either too soon or it's too late. Or maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's some other reason, but, but we have the ability within ourselves to make so many excuses for why we don't go comfort people. And what we need to understand is God gives us a spirit of, of power to empower us to go when we need to go, when it's time to go do that. John chapter 3, verse 8, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know what the difference between the first one and the second one is? Me saying, you know what? I ought to go over and see old so-and-so. I ought to go visit old so-and-so because I know they've been struggling. I know they lost their job. Or I know this or I know that about this. I ought to go see old so-and-so and actually go on and see an old so-and-so. There's a lot that, that um, it has to be generated by love, of course, but there is so much power in simply going to a person when they need to be comforted. Job's friends did that. They came to him, and they, they showed that compassion demonstrated, first off, by coming to him. What about this, though? When you get there, what do you do? Notice what these, these men did. As they're traveling, they're for, 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 apparently, they're, they're, apparently Job lives on the plane because they're not the plane, not a plane, but the plains, right, on a flat piece of ground because they're able to look from afar off at where Job lives. And they don't even recognize him. And they turn around and they go home. Verse 12, and when they had raised their eyes from afar off and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. What does it look like when you go to see somebody who's needing to be comforted? We've noted here that Job's life is literally in ashes. And they see that. And they respond in an appropriate way. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. How's it end, though? Weep 
with those who weep. That's what sympathy is. It is to share in the, in the agony or in the, the exuberance of the situation. And these men, when they came and they saw Job and they saw what kind, of, what kind of suffering he was going through, they were overwrought. They tore their clothes. Now, that's, you know, that's something that they did back in those days. We don't see people tearing their clothes over in agony. But that was a sign of, of a broken heart was they would just... But notice what else they did. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. Would you do that for somebody? Would you be willing first off to in love and compassion to go to a person but when you get there you see how great their grief is and you just sit down and you cry with them for an hour, for two hours. For six hours, for a day, for two days. You get the point, right? This isn't, this isn't a five-minute time period we're talking about. These men sat on the ground, and they poured dust on their head, and they cried with Job for seven days because his grief was so great. I get to lump up in my throat to think about somebody who would be willing to come and sit with me for as long as it took. That's what comfort looks like. God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind to want to give compassion to people, to go to them, and then when we get there, to know the right way to react. And we see in these men that they, their initial response was simply just to sit there and cry it out. Because that's what Job needed. He wasn't ready to talk. He wasn't ready to talk on the first day, and he wasn't ready to talk on the sixth day. And they simply waited for him to start the conversation. What's so powerful about that? Because when a person is suffering, when a person is going through something that's immense, when it's overwhelming to them, they feel like they're out of control. You ever been there before? You feel like your life's in a tailspin, right? And one of the ways that these men empowered Job to have some level of control was they waited for him to start the conversation. He may not be in control of all the other things going on, but he's in control of the conversation. He's going to start it. Now, I wish it would have stopped right there. <laughs> because now we're going to learn some things that you don't do when you go to comfort somebody. Job chapter 3, Job begins to speak. And we already read that. May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which I w it was said a male child is conceived. Job just begins to pour out his heart. Again, I would encourage you to go back and read chapter 3. Don't read it necessarily for the deep theological principles that you can take out, but just read it from a standpoint of a guy whose heart is broken to get a picture of how deep his sorrow was. These men, they've sat with him for seven days. And now they begin to do the things that we want to be cautious about. They quickly went from being comforters to being something else. Fast forward over to Job chapter 13. I've got two verses up there that, oh, excuse me, it's there on the screen. You don't have to, if you just keep your Bibles on Job chapter 16, we'll get there in just a second. Job chapter 13. What happens between Job chapter 3 and Job chapter 13 is these guys begin to talk. 
Eliphaz talks and then Job talks, and Bildad talks and then Job talks, and then Zophar talks and then Job talks. And when you get to chapter 13, by this point in time, Job's just fed up. He says, you know what? You guys are a forger of lies, and you're worthless physicians. You came here to try to make me better, and you've made it worse. He, he goes on to say this in chapter 16. Look at verse, chapter 16, verse uh, 1. Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Measurable comforters are you all. <laughs> Let's just pause for a second and think back about times when we went to comfort people. Could we be described as worthless physicians? Could we be described as miserable comforters? I can, I can probably pick out a few times whenever, when I went, the person was probably in worse shape than when I left. You, remember, you, you know what the, the physician's primary rule is? I don't know if this is all the Hippocratic Oath, but part of it is do no harm, right? Don't make it worse than what it, than what it was. If a guy comes in with his arm barely hanging, don't leave him with it worse than it was. But sometimes we do that when we go to comfort people. We make the situation. We become secondary wounders, right? The wound is, is this big, and we just, we just tear it open. That's what you see with these friends of Job. They... They fell into some traps that we want to be cautious about. We want to be careful about doing certain things. And the first thing we see is they preached at Job rather than comforting him. When you go back and you read chapter 4 all the way through chapter 15, what you're going to read is a group of guys who were preaching at Job. And I can see them doing this with their finger, right? Blah, 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 blah. 1 Thessalonians teaches us about the importance of recognizing the states of people, recognizing where they're at, and meeting them where they're at. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren. That means I'm encouraging you strongly to do this. I exhort you, brethren. Warn those who are unruly. That means to caution or admonition those people who are acting insubordinately. That happens sometimes, right? He says to... Uphold, or excuse me, comfort the faint-hearted. That means to console. The, the, the Greek word there literally means the little-spirited, right? I think about like a little baby bird that just fell out of its nest and has no power within itself to get back there. You're supposed to comfort those people who are little-spirited. That you are to uphold the weak. That, I love that word uphold because it means to lean back against, though to hold up. You think about uh, Bubba from Saving Private Ryan, right? You just lean against me and I'll lean back against you. And we'll just, that's the idea there is that you're supporting each other. You help hold them up so they don't fall over. And then be patient with all. Now let me ask you the question. How often do we get those confused? How many times do we want to uphold the unruly? <laughs> and we want to warn the feeble-hearted, the, the faint-hearted. We get the top three confused and we forget the last one altogether because we want it. We, we want you to be well and we want you to be well right now. Come on, get over it. Toughen up. All right, we take the old football coach approach with, to, to, comfort, to comforting people. Rub some dirt in it. All right? These guys got confused with what their role was. <clears throat> their role was to comfort Job and they decided they needed to be preachers. We, we shake our head like this at them, but sometimes we do that too, right? We forget what our role is 
and bringing comfort to people, and we want to preach to people. I'll just tell you this. I've learned this through experience. People who are little-spirited, they're often not in a situation where they're ready for book, chapter, and verse answers. You take a, a young person who's attended the funeral of a mother and father, and they've got some spiritual questions that they may be asking. That's probably not the right time to whip out your Bible and say, Matthew chapter 5 says this. Now let me be very cautious here. Don't lie. Don't say things that are untrue. But you can say, you know what, that's a good question. There's a, probably a, a good time when we can sit down and talk about that. We have to be cautious that we don't try to warn the faint-hearted, that we don't try to, to run over the weak because we want to make a point. Or we think that they need to hear something when they're not in a state to hear it. What about this? They wanted to judge Job when they needed to have shown mercy. Listen to chapter 4. This is the beginning of these guys' speech. Eliphaz is going to talk first. He says, if one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? <laughs> Basically, I'm going to say something, Job, but I don't want you to get mad at me. Are you going to get frustrated with what I'm about to say? What typically happens when we start a conversation like that? You're teeing somebody up, right? You're, just, you're, you're setting them up to know that they're, they're just about to get whacked about the head and neck. Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak knees. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you're weary. Basically what he says is, Joe, you've been the one to go to people and to encourage them and strengthen them. But now when it comes back on you, you can't practice what you preach. You can't take it, Job. And essentially what they're going to do is they're going to condemn Job of a sin that they don't, they're not aware of because in their mind, God only punishes people because they're sinful. And if God only punishes people because they're sinful, you must have done something sinful, Job. Now just own up to it and God will bless you. God will restore you. God will bring you back. And Job keeps making the case. It's almost like he said, I wish that was the case. I want to have a... I want to have a, a, a a case before God. I want God to put me before his stand and tell me what I've done wrong because I can't find it. I don't know what it is. But these people were judgmental towards Job. They were trying to they were trying to put him in his place. <clears throat> Chapter 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. Job says, No doubt you are the people. Now when you when you read this, I want you to read sarcasm in this, okay? No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. You're the smartest ones I've ever known. But, listen to what he says. But I have understanding as well. I'm not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know these things? I am one mocked by his friends who called on God, and he answered him, the just and blameless who is ridiculed. A lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. Basically, what he says there is, you're not telling me anything I don't know. And you're not bringing any new truth to the situation because you, you're accusing me of stuff that there's no evidence of. Now I want you to put yourself in Job's position again. You've lost your livestock. You've lost your servants. You've lost your children. You've got boils all over you. Your wife's telling you to curse God and die. No, now your friends show up and they want to accuse you of something that they don't have any evidence of. How, how does that... It's overwhelming. But that's the situation that Job finds himself in. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is the spirit that we need to use when we approach somebody who's grieving. When we approach somebody who is overwhelmed, we need to follow this example. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations. You remember Jesus said one time, whatever you would have a man, whatever you would have men do to you, you do also to them. God demonstrated that in that he comforts us in our tribulation. If we want God to comfort us, what should we do to other people? Paul says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's the attitude. That's the spirit that we carry with us when we go to somebody who's grieving. We're not going there to prove them wrong. Next week, we're going to talk about this, the mechanics of it, what this looks like. And so we'll get more into what we should say and what we shouldn't say. But let, let me just say this to, to start with. When a person is in the depths of despair, they may say some things that you don't agree with. You don't have to confirm what they're saying if it's wrong, but you don't have to prove it wrong right then. We can help them get through it. When they get to a point of healing, then we can sit down and we can talk about those things that, that, that scriptures teach us, that God teaches us that may be in, out of line with what they're, that they may be out of line with what God's saying. But, but when they're in the depths of despair, that's not the time to do it. And particularly to do it in a judgmental way. The final thing we see is they just didn't stop talking. You ever experienced this before? Or maybe we've been the ones that do it. Job says in Job chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Oh, that you would be silent and that it would be your wisdom. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said it this way, Keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool. Open your mouth and remove all doubt. All right? If we could just shut our mouths sometimes, what a great comfort that would be to people. But they just kept on and on. And on. And Job says, man, would you just shut up? Listen to what he says in chapter 16. Oh, I don't think I have it there. Yeah, uh, I, I forgot to note it. Look at chapter 16. He says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do if your souls were in my soul's place. I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Basically, it says, if you, would just, if you just shut up, you'd bring me more comfort than if you just keep talking. So what does that look like? So let's pause here. This is where we're going to end our lesson. This is where I'm going to borrow back that five minutes that I took from the beginning. <clears throat> Why do we behave the way we do around people that are grieving. Just be honest with yourself. Why is that? It's because we're uncomfortable, right? How many people are comfortable? How many people look forward to being around somebody who's in the depths of despair? How many of you would look forward to going and seeing Job in that situation? You know, man, that just gets me fired up. It's because we're uncomfortable. And so when we get uncomfortable, what happens to us? We're going to demonstrate some of the, some of the, uh, the uh, characteristics of fear that maybe they're, they're demonstrating. What we, well, we're going to, you know, you, the old fight or flight, right? We're just going to stay away. 
oh, oh, so-and-so lost his job. You know what? I probably better not go over and see him because I got a job. I don't want him to feel bad. So sometimes we stay away or sometimes we isolate. Um, <clears throat> there's a book that I'm going to refer to you next week. I'm not going to give it to you this week. But, but in that book, the author talks about times when people get cancer that oftentimes the most, the most, des- the, the most difficult part of getting cancer is the isolation because people isolate them. And it's not because they're afraid of getting cancer. It's because they just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with somebody who's struggling with cancer. And so they just don't go. Or they won't invite them out to, to go eat. They won't do things because they don't know how to respond. What about responding in an unnatural way? You ever see anybody, when they get uncomfortable, they just laugh? Right? You go to a funeral, that's not time to be laughing. But sometimes we, we, we respond unnaturally because we just don't know how to react. And so rather than, rather than weeping with somebody, we might be doing something that turns them off. What about, um, what about putting down somebody's feelings? Oh, you shouldn't feel that way. I know, I know you're heartbroken, but that's, you know, you need to be strong for the family. You need to be strong for your kids. Sometimes we, we, we want to downplay people's feelings because we want them to feel what we think is normal. What about, what about focusing on our own feelings? Did you ever do that before? I know this is hard, but it's hard for me too. This is difficult for all of us. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody here because this is stuff I do too. This is all things that we're going to talk about next week, how to train ourselves to get out of the habit of saying some of these things. But what about compare and compete. You ever, you ever see this situation where somebody, you go to visit somebody and they start telling their story about what they're going through and then I got to tell a story that's bigger, right? Oh, I know what you're going through. My grandma went through that too and you know, she really suffered. Probably worse than you are. We want to compare and compete. We want to, we do that because we're uncomfortable, right? We just don't know what to say so we got to say something. Or we say unhelpful things. It's probably better that they passed. You think about some of the things that we say that are unhelpful, that don't help people heal. And it's things that we just we say them because we've heard we've heard mom and dad say them, we've heard our friends say them, we've had people say it to us, and we know how it feels, but we just turn right around and repeat it. We we create these scripts in our mind that we go to when we're uncomfortable, and we play those scripts out, and sometimes those scripts are a bunch of baloney. And so we need to train ourselves to get out of the habit of doing that. But the first thing we want to recognize is that discomfort is natural. It's natural for you to be uncomfortable around people who are grieving. Everybody feels that way, okay? So don't feel like you're alone. When you go to visit somebody who's lost a job, or when you go to visit somebody who's just been diagnosed with a terminal disease, or when you go to visit somebody who's lost a loved one, you need to know that everybody going there is typically going to be uncomfortable with that situation. You're not alone. Does that help you at all to know that you're not on this island by yourself, that everybody's uncomfortable? But we've got to learn to control control that fear. Don't let it master us and make us do or say things that we wouldn't want to have done to us when we're in a state of, of, of uh, mental discomfort. And thankfully, God gives us the spirit of power and of love, and of a sound mind if we can prepare ourselves that we can go into a situation and we can be people who bring comfort to others. 
We, we want to be people who fulfill the law of Christ, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Don't you want to be that kind of person? Don't we want to be people that are seen as being burden bearers? What that means is that, that, that term there literally means a load too heavy for somebody to carry on their own. Grief can be too heavy for people sometimes. And next week we're going to talk about how we... Now, let me be very clear. We're not professional counselors. We're not therapists, right? There's going to be situations in which people are going to need to seek professional help. But in any way that we can bring comfort to people, we want to be comforters and not miserable comforters. So we're going to talk through some stuff next week about things we can do and things we should avoid. But the important thing is that we have to remember that God's given us this spirit, this ability to help others if we're really compassionate, if we keep our ears open to their needs, that we can bring restoration to people, that we can bring, we can bring hope to people, that we can help them to rise up out of the, the ash pile that their life has become and to be restored. That's the, that's the end of the book of Job. You turn over there and you see the interaction that God has with Job. And you see the restoration that takes place. God is the true comforter in that story. And he brings all these blessings back to Job. And the end of the story is even better than the beginning of the story. Even though Job had been through all of that, the days were brighter at the end than they were at the beginning. And we can be a part of that as well. Can we help you with the burden that you're bearing? You're not alone. I hope you remember that. You're never alone. God is always with us, and we are, as, a, as, a, as the body of Christ, we are compelled to encourage each other and strengthen each other and to be here for each other. We're going to sing a song of encouragement, and this song is, is a song to, to give you an opportunity, if you want to, to make that need known. Sometimes people aren't comfortable making that need known in the middle of a, a even though we are a church family, not comfortable talking about stuff like that. So... Come see me after, but don't leave here today struggling with whether your church family loves you or not, and that whether God loves you or not. If you're outside of Christ and you'd like to become a Christian, we can help you with that today as well. If you need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can help you. If you're willing to uh, confess your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're turning away from that sin, that, that, that act of repentance that says, you know, I don't want to live that lifestyle anymore, and you want to have that sin washed away, we can help you to obey the gospel and baptism. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.